If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel chapter 14. We're going to pick up in verse 24 where we left off last week. 1 Samuel 14. As you're finding your place there in God's Word, I do want to welcome all those who are joining us via our live stream. Each week we have so many people who join us in that way, and we just want you to know we're grateful uh, that you're a part of our worship here at Lenexa Baptist Church. Also, Reach Church DeSoto, uh, the venue down the hall. I also want to say a special word of gratitude for Pastor Chuck bringing in the word uh, to us last week. It was such a joy. Um, so grateful for him. At Reach Church, you got to hear from Pastor Ryan in the venue service. You got to hear from Scott, and each of those guys did an incredible job. I feel like um, I'm not going to finish this chapter well. They started it out so good, and then you got to endure me on these last verses. But uh, praise the Lord, I'm grateful for each of you. And I'm so grateful that we have created a culture here at Lenexa Baptist Church where it doesn't matter who's in this person. It's not the person bringing the word that, that, that matters. It's the word of God that matters. And uh, that's what I love about this church. It's not about a personality. It's about Christ and his word. And uh, it is such a blessing and, and just to be here last week and just to worship and to hear them bring the word of God was such a, a blessing to me. So I'm so grateful for those men and how they studied and prepared and, and led you into the study of God's word. Well, you remember as we've been working our way through these chapters, kind of this narrative and, of Saul and Jonathan, we've seen um, Saul's failure. Uh, he didn't obey the word of the Lord given to him by Samuel in chapter 13, and he offered the sacrifice when he was supposed to wait, and that had consequences in his life. And you get to the end of chapter 13, you're wondering, is there anybody out there who loves God? Is there anybody out there who will just be faithful? And we find out there is a man. Last week we saw him. His name is Jonathan. You know, when God really wants to move, when God really wants to work, it only takes one person only takes one person who's willing to just trust God and step out in faith and obedience to his word, and that's Jonathan and a little armor bearer. I, I don't know what that armor bearer looked like, but I just picture him as a wee little fellow. I may be totally wrong, but this little guy who just says, if you're going, I'll go with you. And the two of them, they achieve great victory, and all of a sudden there's this great victory, and the people of God start swarming around them. Isn't it interesting when one man will step out in faith and be bold? Oftentimes his obedience will encourage others that we don't live unto ourselves. Our obedience and our disobedience affects other people, and Jonathan is obedient, and the people get on board. Not only do the people get on board, but... But Saul gets on board. You know, when God's at the, on work, you don't want to get caught watching the paint dry. <laughs> you want to get involved. And so Saul, although he's reluctant, he's, he's hesitant. It, it, I was reading that again this week, and I thought, you know, whenever you're not in fellowship with God, you'll always be hesitant to obey. Um, the scriptures, uh, Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee when no one is pursuing but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And that's Jonathan. He's, he's walking in faithfulness to God, and he's bold, and he, he steps out in faith, and the people swarm around him, and the Philistines are being driven out. It's a wonderful, it's a great and glorious day, and you just anticipate that, that, that following this, Saul's going to jump on board, and the, that him and Jonathan are going to serve the Lord together, and they're going to push these Philistines out just as God. They're going to defeat them totally, and they're going to rid themselves of of this Philistine oppression. 
And yet we're going to find a great contrast in in verse 24. We're going to see Jonathan lead the people to to find great blessing. And then we're going to find in in verse uh, 24, uh, the people are hard-pressed. Why are they hard-pressed? Because a politician shows up. (laughs) A politician, but not just any politician. A politician who's only interested in himself. You know, the people of Israel were intended to show us what leadership looks like. The people of Israel were intended to redeem leadership and politics. They were to show us what a true king looks like, what a true leader looks like. And uh, Saul is going to fail. And when leaders fail, they're no longer a blessing. They become a burden to the people that they're called to serve. And we'll see that as the great tragedy of Saul's life. With that in mind, let's just pray together and then we'll work our way through this text. Father, we're, we're so grateful that you have given to us your word. Lord, we pray this morning that you would bless your word. Pray that it would go forth in power. I'm so grateful this morning that we don't have to come up with something to say. You've spoken to us. And you've never promised to bless our words, but you have promised to bless your word. You've said to us, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And I ask this morning, Lord, that you would bless your word. I don't know everybody in this room this morning. I don't know what they've been through. I don't know what they're going through right now, but you do. And I believe you have a word for them. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, have your way in our hearts and in this time. Draw us closer to to yourself. And I pray that when we leave here a little later, we'll we'll leave here changed. Because we met with the God of the universe. The one who made us, loved us, and, and came and died for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, look with me in verse 24. It says, the men of Israel were hard pressed on that day. Why? It says, for Saul had put the... People under oath saying, cursed be the man who eats food before evening and until I have avenged myself on my enemies. So none of the people tasted food. Saul stepped into what uh, appears to be great victory, what what appears to be uh, a situation that could bring great blessing upon the, the men of Israel and all the people of Israel. And yet, as he steps in, he comes with an oath and you wonder, what's the motivation behind this oath, that, they, that you're not going to eat anything until evening? And, and really, we see the motivation in the last part of that verse, until I have avenged my enemies. And you quickly see that what's, what's motivating King Saul is not the glory of God, and it's not service to the people and building up the people. What is motivating King Saul is his own personal ambitions, his own personal goals. And so he's given this oath in in order to say, you know what, I don't want my guys to be distracted in any way. I'm gonna motivate them to be completely fixated and focused upon the enemy and to push them out. And the men were hard-pressed. And you see, even at the end of that verse, you have a people, these men who desire to follow King Saul. 
They have a heart to be humble and to be submissive before king. They, they, I think that people wanted him to succeed and will come to the end of this chapter and they're going to be opposed to him. That's what happens when leaders get off base and they begin to see the people that they're called to serve as a people who they can use and abuse for their own personal goals. Eventually, those same people will end up rising up against the leadership. That's what happens. All the great revolutions occurred because the people finally said, enough is enough. You've gone beyond what God called you to do. And so we see the people with the heart to, to follow him. Look at verse 25. And the people of the land entered the forest and there was honey on the ground. When the people entered the forest, behold, there was a flow of honey, but no man put his hand to his mouth for the people feared the earth or feared the oath. We look at this and we see that they enter into the land and they quickly see this honey as a provision of God. It's a reminder of another place where we see the people of Israel wandering in the, in the wilderness and they, they found manna just laying on the ground. God had miraculously provi provided for their blessing, for their nourishment. In fact, as I read the commentators, this was un unusual to find this kind of flow of honey. Even though the land was a land of milk and honey, finding this kind of flow of honey is is somewhat unusual. It's an obvious provision by God for the benefit of the people. And yet they wouldn't follow through because they were more fearful of King Saul and disobeying the oath that he had, he had put them under. And so now these people, they're not following out of a heart of love for King Saul. They're, they're following out of a sense of fear of disobeying the oath that he's put them under. Verse 26, when the people entered the forest, uh, or verse 27, but Jonathan had not heard when his father put the people under the oath. Therefore, he put out the end of his staff that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his, his eyes brightened. Here you see Jonathan, he just comes upon this honey. He hasn't heard the oath and, and he takes his staff. He's kind of eaten on the run. He's not even stopping to rest, but he just dips his staff and he's on the go. But what does he know? Wow, what a, what a wonderful provision that God has given to us. And I know it'll bring nourishment. It'll give me energy to continue in this battle. And, and so he dips his staff and he partakes of the honey and his eyes are brightened. It's interesting, this passage, this verse specifically right here, Charles Spurgeon refers to it in his devotional, Morning and Evening. And he says it's a, it's a good reminder that the people of God are intended to, to work hard, but they're also intended to work smart. Meaning we, we put our hands to God's plow and we serve him and we're, we're, we are to be hard workers and we, we, we work hard at serving the Lord and pursuing his purposes. But we've also got to remember that God has intended for us to daily stop and abide with him in his word that we might be nourished for the day that's ahead of us. Uh, I think there's a powerful picture here. In the Old Testament, the word of God is often referred to as honey. You remember in Psalm 19, uh, your judgments are true. They're righteous altogether. They're more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, and sweeter also than the honey and the dripping of the honeycomb. Listen to me. This is a good reminder. I know for me as a pastor, all of my mentors used to just pound into my head that if you serve the people of God, even in your preaching, if you're, you're only reading and studying God's word for your sermon preparation and not for the own personal nourishment of your soul, you'll eventually burn out. 
even in doing good things in service to the Lord, if we don't stop, because my, my mentors would tell me it's better to stir, serve God out of a flowing stream of a relation with God, relationship with God and his word than to simply flow uh, service from your own personal energy and strength because eventually that will run out. And, and God has designed us in such a way. I even think about this in service to the church. I mean, we're, we're some, we can be really bad sometimes about finding people who are willing to serve in the church and then we just run you into the ground and we assign you all these tasks to do. Listen to me, even in serving the church, you need to be reminded that occasionally you need to take a break. Can I tell you, I'll tell you again, what a blessing it was last week to come and just sit and hear the word of God brought and for me just to receive it, just like one of you. We all need that. But here Saul, he's pressing his guys into service, not allowing them to, to stop for refreshment. And for that reason, look at verse 20, 28. Then one of the people said, your, your father strictly people, put the people under oath, saying, curse be the man who eats today. And the people are weary. They're worn out. They're, they're tired because of the burden that, that King Saul has put upon them. Verse 29, then Jonathan said, my father has troubled the land See now how my eyes have brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. He's saying that, that our potential has been cut short because of a very foolish command, a very foolish oath on the part of my father. And I think it's important to note here that this is a command that goes beyond scripture. It's a very dangerous thing when we start to put burdens on people that go beyond what God has called us to do in his word. And here King Saul has put a burden on them that goes beyond the word of God in pursuit of his own personal ambitions and it's cut them short in their potential. Look at verse 30, how much more if only the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies which they found for now the slaughter among the Philistines has not been great. Jonathan understands that if we would serve these people and we would love them, if we provide for their refreshment, they would able to be, they'd be able to do so much more. But now their potential has been cut short because of a leader that, who is only using them for his own personal goals. Verse 31, they struck among the Philistines that day from Michmash to Ajalon, and the people were very weary. In verse 32, the people rushed greedily upon the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slew them on the ground and the people ate them with the blood. Uh, we know that this was an uh, act of extreme disobedience. God had put the people under uh, very clear commands that you're not to eat animals with the blood. Uh, they had a process by which they would drain the blood from an animal before they prepared it to eat. And they did that because the blood was a symbol of God's atoning sacrifice. It was sacred. You don't do that. And here, because they're famished, because they're weary, because of the oath of King Saul, they, they walk into sin and disobedience. And listen, I'm not saying they're not responsible for their own actions, but I will tell you this. This, the, the, the disobedience of King Saul in using these people has put them in a position where they're susceptible to sin. It's a good reminder as for us as leaders. And, and by the way, as I, I, I was studying this and really seeing this as a, a picture for us as leaders, you need to know if you say, well I'm, well, I'm not a leader. Listen to me, if you have people around you, you're a leader. You need to know this today. Somebody's watching you. Somebody's watching you. And people are following you. And the question uh, the question is not, are people following me? The real question is, are you following Jesus? 
Are you giving them an example worth following? Well, here we see King Saul, he's not given much of an example to follow, and he's put the people in a position where they're susceptible to sin. I was reminded of, in Genesis, when we studied uh, Isaac and and Jacob and Esau, and you remember Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, and that went against what God had declared. God had said, Isaac's the one, Isaac's the one. You're You're gonna put the blessing that the older's gonna serve the younger, but Isaac said, I don't care what God has proclaimed, I love Esau. I got it. Will, will a man disobey God because of his flesh? It happens all the time. And he's gonna disobey God because of his own flesh. And guess what he does to Jacob? Jacob is going to have to deceive his dad and his brother to get a blessing that God had already pronounced him on him. And why? Because his dad wouldn't be obedient to the word of God. Now, Jacob is still responsible for his own sinful actions, but listen to me. His daddy didn't serve him well. He put him in a bad spot because he wouldn't do what God had told him to do. We need to understand when we as leaders, when we don't follow God with a heart to serve him, to serve the people that he's given to us, then we put our people in a position where they're susceptible to sin. And so he's put them in a bad spot and now they're walking in sin and disobedience. We'll look at the reaction in verse uh, 33. Then they told Saul saying, behold, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. And he said, you have acted treacherously. Roll a stone to me today. Verse 34, Saul said, disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, each one of you bring me his ox or his sheep and slaughter it here and eat and do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So all the people that night brought each a, each one his ox with him, and slaughtered it there. Isn't it interesting how quickly uh, Saul is able to point out the sins of other people, but he can't see the sin in his own life? I mean, it quickly uh, (laughs) jumped out at me. He's so quick to, to point out the sin and disobedience of other people, but he can't see the log in his own eye. He's walked in sin and disobedience. Let this be a reminder to every one of us. Before we go pointing out other people's sin, I meet so many people, they love to be the spiritual police for other people. Listen, make sure you're evaluating your own life in accordance with God's word before you go pointing out the sin of other people. And so he's quick to point out their sin. He says, all right, bring me this stuff. We're gonna do this the right way. And so they gather and look at what it says in verse 35. And Saul put a, built an altar to the Lord. It was the first altar that he built to the Lord. Here we see he's gonna build this altar to the Lord and um, it's the first altar. But even here, as he builds this altar to the Lord, we find out very quickly he's simply doing this in an effort to use God or appease God to get what he ultimately wants. The heart behind this spiritual activity is not because I love God, but because I hope that God will now act on my behalf to give me what I really want. Listen, there are a lot of people that are using religious activities to simply attempt to manipulate God to achieve their own personal goals and ends. They're just using God to work their side of the street. And you know what happens when people do this? When they tend to do this, when you manipulate God to achieve your own personal goals, you either end up getting mad at God when he doesn't come through on your behalf or you blame God because he didn't do what you thought he ought to do. And so Saul, he's gonna build this altar trying to use this external religion. 
to achieve his own goals with no real heart for God. In verse 36, then Saul said, and this is how we know his motivation was to achieve his own personal goals because look at what he says, the very next verse, let us go down after the Philistines by night. So no rest, we've just gotten some food in you but we're not gonna let you rest. Go down after the Philistines by night and take spoil among them until the morning light and let us not leave a man of them. And they said, do whatever seems good to you. That is not a demonstration of an army that says, boy, we are with you. Uh, that's not a good reaction. Well, I guess if that's what you wanna do, then, then that's okay. And look at what it says next. So the priest said, let us draw near to God here. It's the priest, not Saul, who will say, we need to stop and pray about this. We need to seek God. It'll be the priest. And we, <laughs> this is not a true priest. It's not Samuel. Uh, we believe it to be Ahijah who says, we need to stop and pray. We need to seek God here. Well, look at what happens. Verse 37, Saul inquired of God, shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him on that day. God goes radio silent on Saul. Saul stops. Listen, he is all fired up. His one passion is to pursue these, these Philistines to avenge his enemies. And now he's frustrated. All right, I've got them where I want them. I'm gonna continue to pursue them. The priest is aggravating me. Now he's got me stopping over here and praying. And then God won't respond. And, and I really think it's a powerful picture here. He's gonna do this. He's, gonna, he's setting his ways. This is what he's gonna do. And God just stops him and says, no, 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 you're gonna stop right here. We got business to do. And so immediately, look at what Saul does. Saul in verse 38 said, draw near here. All you chiefs of the people investigate and see how this sin has happened today. For as the Lord lives who delivers Israel, though it is in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But not one of all the people answered him. Again, isn't it interesting? He says, we're gonna find out who caused this. And, and you're left to kind of wonder, is he so oblivious to his own personal sin that he can't see it's him who's caused this? He's the problem. Is he that dumb? Can he not see this? And so he's gonna, uh, he's gonna find out who has done this. Verse 40, then he said to all Israel, you shall be on one side, I and Jonathan, my son, will be on the other. And the people said to Saul, do what seems good to you. Therefore Saul said to the Lord, the God of Israel, give a perfect lot. And Jonathan and Saul were taken, but the people escaped. And Saul said, cast the lots between me and Jonathan, my son. And Jonathan was taken. And Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you've done. So Jonathan told him and said, I indeed tasted a little honey with the end of the staff that was in my hand. Here I am, I must die. Again, you're seeing a powerful picture in the example of Jonathan. Jonathan hasn't done anything wrong. I mean, you look at this story and it reminds us very quickly of the story of Achan. You remember after they achieve great victory, they're going and they lose. And then they realize somebody in the camp has sinned by keeping back some of the plunder and they cast lot between the families and they finally get it all the way down to Achan and his family because he's taken some of what shouldn't be his and he is judged because of that. And there's a question, what's the difference between what Achan did and what Jonathan did? The difference is very clear. Achan disobeyed a command of God and Jonathan disobeyed a command of man. A foolish command of man. And Jonathan is innocent. He hasn't done anything wrong. And Saul is quick to say, I guess he's gotta die. 
even if it's my boy. You know what you would hope to see here? What you're hoping to see, again, I try to read these stories as if you read them for the first time. You're hoping Saul will say, listen, Jonathan, you're not gonna die. I'm gonna take your spot. You're hoping to see Saul step up and lay down his life and say, I'll take the hit. If anybody's gonna die today, I'll take the hit. Let God strike me, but Jonathan, you've done nothing wrong. In fact, that's what we'll see in David. You remember when David sins by bringing about the census? When we get to into 2 Samuel in two or three years, when we get there, we'll, we'll look at that. But you get to the end of that, and, and, and David, you remember God's bringing judgment on the people. And what does David say? Take me. It's my fault, God. And Jonathan here, he, I must die. And to me, the, the, one of the most powerful pictures, this is one of those verses you just need to circle in your Bible. Because Jonathan, in this moment, he's a prefiguring of Jesus Christ. Because he's innocent. He hadn't done anything wrong. But he stands in the wrath of his father, willing to take the hit for the benefit and the salvation of the people. That's a picture of Christ. That's when people love us. When we lay down our lives for the glory of God and the good of others. He says, surely I'll die. But what happens in verse 45? But the people said to Saul, must Jonathan die? Who has brought about this great deliverance in Israel? You know what they're saying? We love Jonathan. We love this guy. Far from it, as the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground. For he has worked with God this day, so the people rescued Jonathan and he did not die. Don't you think this was a very discouraging moment for Saul? Because basically they've said, we'd rather follow this guy than you. Because you know what they've seen? This guy, he's only in it for himself. And this guy over here, he's always willing to sacrifice his own life for the benefit of other people. And I'm gonna tell you, those are the kinds of men and women that people will follow. People who live for the glory of God and say, you know what, it's not about me. I'm willing to lay down my life for the benefit of others. Verse 46, then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines and the Philistines went to their own place. You know what's so sad about this? Saul only wants, it appears to me, he only really wants one thing. He, he wants to be glorified. I mean, you remember, even when Jonathan wins that, uh, that initial battle, uh, they found out and it says that they heard what, what Saul had done. Saul wanted the credit. Saul wanted the glory. He wanted to take out these Philistines so he could be glorified. But that's what he's pursuing initially, at least specifically right here. I want this one thing. I want to defeat this army. I want the glory. I want the people to walk around saying, boy, Saul's a great king. He's a mighty warrior. I want this one thing. But what it tells us right here is the one thing he wanted, he won't get. And they're going to struggle with the Philistines for the rest of his reign. The one thing he wanted, he's not going to get. He just clung to it and said, God, all I want's this. And he won't get it. You know, it's so interesting to me how many times in service to God, when we cling to things that we really want, when we cling to our own plans, when we cling to our own dreams, and we say, God, this is all I want. You know what God asks us to do? Lay it down. And you know what I found? Oftentimes, when we lay it down, God gives us the thing that we wanted. He may not give it to us in the way we initially wanted to it. More often than not, he gives us something better than we wanted from the start. 
Isn't that the greatness of the God we serve? He says, come to me. Just lay it down. And I'll give you the desires of your heart. God says, I know better than you. Lay it down. So he's not going to get what he wants. Look at the, the final verses of this chapter. Now when Saul had taken the kingdom over Israel, he fought against all the enemies on every side. Against Moab, the sons of Ammon, Edom, the kings of Zobah, and the Philistines. And wherever he turned, he inflicted punishment. He acted valiantly and defeated the Amalekites and delivered Israel from the hands of those who plundered them. Now the sons of Saul were Jonathan and Ishvi and Malchi, Shua. And the names of his two daughters were these. The names of the first, the, the firstborn was Merib. The name of the younger was Michael. And the name of Saul's wife was Ahinam and his daughter and the daughter of Ahimaaz. And the name of the captain of his army was Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. Kish was the father of Saul and Ner, the father of Abner, was the son of Abiel. Now the war against the Philistines was severe all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any mighty man or any valiant man, he attached him to his staff. To me, you get to these last verses, you kind of get a summary of Saul's life, and you see a man that was only real interested in material and physical things. You know what it says about him? He's a pretty good warrior. A pretty good military strategist. And uh, he liked other people that were tall, handsome, and mighty. And it's so sad because nowhere in the summation of Saul's life does it say he loved God. Nowhere in there did he say that, boy, he became a blessing to the people. You know, I, I tell people all the time, write out your obituary. What, what do you want people to say about you? If they were to summarize your life today, what would they say about you? I participate in a lot of funerals. And one of the saddest things to me is you say, tell me about this person, a great businessman, really achieved great success in the business world, made lots of money, loved Jayhawk basketball, attended every game, hardly ever missed, good golfer, won the tournament at their country club a couple years in a row. you never hear about a love for Christ. You know what Saul did? He climbed the ladder of success only to realize he'd leaned it against the wrong building. You know, sometimes the greatest fear is not failure. The fear is that you would succeed at the wrong things. Listen, succeed at the things that matter. That's the tragedy of Saul's life. And, and you look at Saul and you look at the tragedy of this man's life. It's, listen, his tragedy is not these individual sins that he committed. In fact, when you look at it, you look at Saul's life and David. David is going to be the next king. And we love David, don't we? Oh, David, awesome man after God's own heart. But David also, remember, committed murder and adultery. I mean, listen, if we were just looking at this, if you didn't know any of the story and you said there was one king who didn't wait on the sacrifice uh, and offered it when he shouldn't have, and uh, he didn't really listen to God much, and there was another king who killed an innocent man and committed adultery, 
And if you didn't know any other parts of the story, you would say, that king committed murder. He's worse. See, the difference between, listen to me, the difference between success and failure in the kingdom of God is not your individual sin. It's a lack of repentance. What makes the difference is not the degree of your sin. It's the lack of repentance. Saul never repents. I mean, you look at Peter and Judas in the New Testament. And both of them failed Christ miserably. Failed miserably. And one would go on to be a great success for God. And one would be known as a huge failure. And what was the difference? One turned back to Christ and the other didn't. Listen to me. If you want to be great for God, you know where it begins? With a heart of repentance and faith. You can't be great for God without a living, abiding, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Where daily you're on your knees with a heart and an attitude of repentance. That's where greatness in God's kingdom starts. That's where it starts. And then what else do we see in this passage? One thing very clearly. Very, very clearly. Greatness and success in God's kingdom does not not begin with self-exaltation and self-promotion. Greatness in God's kingdom begins with self-sacrifice, dying to yourself, and living unto the glory of God for the good of other people. You want to be great for God? Then lay down your life every day in service to Jesus and other people. And I'm going to tell you, I tell this to young, uh, mostly young guys. That's the guys I deal with. Listen, you want people to like you? I'm just, if, even if you throw out the, the morality of this and the Christ thing about this, which we would never do, but you just want to let us, you just want to be liked by people? You want to be loved? Be a servant. I can guarantee you, your best friends in this world are people who are constantly laying down their life to help you and serve you. Those are the people we love. Those are the people we name our kids after. Why? Why? Because they demonstrate Christ to us. You know why they're beautiful? Because they picture Jesus. Whenever we lay down our lives in service to other people, we give people a little glimpse of Jesus. And we want to name our kids after them. I know a lot of kids. I did this first thing. How many in this room, you either have the name John or Jonathan? John or Jonathan? We got any in here? Look at the hands go up. We got a bunch of Johns and Jonathans. How many of y'all named Saul? I don't run into many Sauls. Listen, you want to be great for God. First, you got to die to yourself. You got to lay it all down at the feet of Jesus. And then live to bless. Live to bless. Father, we thank you for your word. We do thank you for the example of Saul. We thank you for the example of Jonathan. And I pray, Lord, we would be Jonathans. Lord, the motivation of our life would be your glory and the good of others. Lord, I am... Um,
I pray for anybody that's in this room that's bought into the lie that they think that the only way in order to really succeed is to promote themselves. I gotta promote me. Maybe they think that greatness begins with a lot of spiritual activity. Thinking somehow they're gonna impress you with their religion. God, I pray that they would know they could never do enough to impress you. That all of our great acts of religion fall woefully short of the requirement for a relationship with you. I pray that they would come to a place where they die to themselves and they see the depth of their sin and they would repent. Turn from their sin and they would turn towards you and and then, God, I pray for those of us that know you, we would daily, daily die, have an attitude of repentance in all of our life, an attitude of humility. And we would not seek out the interests of ourselves, but the interests of others. We would not be motivated by selfish ambition or vain conceit, but we would always consider others as better than ourselves. And in this way, we'd have the attitude of Jesus and people would see him in us. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.